Amen. Amen. Come on, give the band a hand. They've done a brilliant job leading us. Well done, everybody. Great job. Grab your seats. Uh, we're in our series, series is called Stronger, Stronger, Deeper, Stronger is really what we're hitting some stuff in the mornings we want to talk about. Deeper is where Sunday evenings we start our discipleship night. I can't remember how we're doing it here, but we're, Wednesday, we're doing it Wednesdays, okay? So, you know, we're, we're setting it up. Pastor Glynn's doing the first one of the Deeper series. So we'll be doing that tonight in Manchester, and then you're picking it up here uh, in Chester on Wednesday. It's uh, so good to be here. I brought Julie. Because that's the question I have to answer first, so the, I, I did bring her, uh, and um, and uh, and that that was great. That got me here on time, and um, and will ensure some level of behaviour. So all good, all good. Uh, for those who never met before, my name's Stuart. I'm one of the pastors at Audacious, and uh, part of my role is just to get the chance to hang out and uh, to be with the wider family of church and. Uh, Spend some time with your brilliant pastors, Lee and Lizandri. Why don't you put your hands together for them? Because they are superb. So good. Lee's clapping himself. He's so good. He is clapping himself. And I would clap myself if I was you as well. Um, ah, brilliant. Oh, really good to be here. Stronger and deeper. We're talking about sacraments today sacraments. Before I start to explain that, let me try and help us with this. Have you, we do it all the time now. We take a selfie, we have a moment, we take a picture. And because of the nature of phones and cameras, we can capture a moment in a way that historically we never could. But when something really means something to you, the picture is not what you take. You, you have something, a physical something. So, uh, you know, you, you leave school, and they do this all, all the time now, uh, you know, uh, not, not when I left school, but do it now. Um, and, you know, you leave kindergarten, and you seem to get a hoodie with your name on the back of it. Like, you know, and you're working your way through primary school, and eventually you leave school, and you get a hoodie with your name on it. And it amazes me the number of people who are wearing it for years after, who don't know any of the other names on the back of their thing anymore. They've, they've lost them. They don't know them. They're a friend on Facebook at best. And, and that person, you know, we do that, but we do it in more significant things. On my desk at home, I have two things. I, well, I have more than two things, but two things that are like this. One is a pen, and it's the pen my grandmother used to write to my grandfather when he was at the war. And it still works. So, I, In fact, I was using it this morning, and then next to it is his RAF wings. So they don't look anything like my grandparents. But every time I see them, that's what I think of. When you get married, and there's a lot of pictures and a lot of video for those who've never done it, um, then uh, there's a point, though, where you exchange a, a ring. Do you see me doing this? This was the clue. It's a tough front row. Uh, you exchange rings. And, and the ring becomes the symbol of the... V um, it becomes the symbol that nobody else looks at you and goes, have you said any vows? They look and go, oh, that ring makes a statement. These things are visible signs that tell us of something that has happened in your life. 
that's a sacrament. A sacrament is a visible sign that tells us of something that's gone on inside your life. It isn't the thing itself. It is a descriptor. It is a word. Now, we don't find the word sacrament in the Bible, so, you know, don't search for it. This is one of those strange theological words that's come up over time. But we do believe in the sacraments. For the church nowadays, the cross is the symbol. If you're going to have a symbol for the church, it was the cross. But that didn't exist until the, well, the cross did, but as a symbol. That was nearly really heretical. Um, The cross as a symbol didn't exist until the fourth century. So for the first 300 years, the signs and the symbols of the church wasn't a cross and it wasn't a fish. What it actually was, was these two things that we now call the sacraments. It was baptism and communion. They were the two things that demonstrated that you were a follower of Jesus to everybody outside. Not a what would Jesus do bracelet, not a t-shirt, and not a building because they didn't have them. But the fact that people had been baptized and when they got together, took communion, made massive statements to them. Now, the reason you don't find the word sacrament in Scripture is that it's a Latin word. So originally, Scripture, the New Testament was written in Greek. And in the Greek, the word that we use, that we would now use the word sacrament, is the word mystery. Because I don't know about you, but you've got to do a lot of thinking to work out how going underwater and coming out again is significant. Like, you know, why is this going underwater and coming out of the water totally significant to bombing in a swimming pool? (laughs) In both occasions, you go under the water completely and you come out again. Except one of them is a mystery and the other one you're not allowed to do. (laughs) Right? Why is it that drinking a bit of juice or a bit of wine and eating, you know, the world's smallest piece of bread is a mystery about Jesus when if you were to have this, if you were to offer someone, they came round to your house for lunch and you offered them what amounts to communion, they'd be thinking to themselves, I'm going to have to stop somewhere on the way home. (laughs) Mystery. When the Latin became the language of the church, the word that they chose to use to translate uh, mysterio, hey, that's the Greek. Any Greek, just stick an O on the end and you're okay. Mysterio was sacramentum. And it actually meant this. It was the pledge that a Roman soldier made to lifelong service. So when the church said, these are our sacraments, they're making this statement. Every time I drink this, every time I eat this, that one time that I went under the water, I was making a pledge to lifelong service. Absolute commitment to it. So that's why they chose the word sacrament. St. Augustine said this, each sacrament possesses a visible sign and a word that explained the nature of divine grace received through it. I like the word mystery because it helps me go, I, I, I can't quite grasp it. I can't quite grasp 
everything that goes on when I go under the water. But I do know that something supernatural happens in that moment. I, I can't quite grasp the, the full significance of drinking the bit of juice and a bit of bread. But I do know there's something happening in that moment that is outside of my logical thought and the experience of what I am actually doing. Because there is a divine grace, the goodness of God, his righteousness that gets put into us when we engage with these things. It's not just a something we do. I, I remember when I got baptized, uh, my baptism, if I'm, if I'm really honest, um, I got baptized to two, I, I, no, I'm not too quick. I got baptized before I really knew what I was doing. I got baptized because my friends were getting baptized and I thought, I'm not doing that on my own. Um, and so I, I, I got baptized. And, and I didn't understand the big relevance of it. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't get baptized quickly. I actually think you should. I think once you've understood that you're a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him, baptism should be happening as quick as you can do it. Because you want to make a statement and a demonstration about what you believe. But baptism is, it is that strange thing. And I remember I was 11, 12 years old. Uh, I remember the whole event pretty clearly. I remember what I was wearing because I shouldn't have worn a white shirt. I remember that really, really clearly, clearly being the operative word. And, um, and, and, and um, you know, I remember the whole thing. And, you know, my mom cried a little bit. Uh, and, and all these sort of things were, were you know, were lovely. Uh, but it didn't have a lot of significance for me because I didn't get why I was doing it. And, and it's one of those things I look back, a few regrets in life. Uh, there was one where I set off some fireworks when I was at Bible college. Um, uh, they went straight over this girl's room. She thought Jesus was coming back and she started crying. Um, and uh, and it, it took a lecturer to get her to open the door because she was so worked up that she thought Jesus had left her behind. Um, so I regretted that. I also regret the other time at Bible college that I nailed someone's window shut. Then I took the bar out of their door and they couldn't get out of the room. It was funny till they started rebuking the devil because they thought he'd locked him in. So there's a few things I regret, but, but, but getting baptized as quickly as I did, I do remember thinking to myself later, I wish I knew why better when I did it. So let's dig into the why. In the Old Testament, there are time after time after time where God's people passed through water. You just pause for a minute and you think of Noah. That the first time water in the volumes necessary, never been rain, water had never come up out of the ground. And yet at that point, Noah, how does God do it? He carries them through the water. We think of Moses as a baby. What was it that saved him? It was the water being put into an ark on the water is what saved Moses in order to bring him through. And then we think of Moses the man. What was it that saved the people of Israel? It was going through the water on both sides, piled up on either side of them, and they go through the water. And how did God's people enter into all the promises that he had for them? They went through the water of the Jordan, right the way through the Old Testament, time after time, God is telling us there's something powerful about the symbolism of water, about what happens in that moment and what it does. If we want to read the Bible, because we probably should, Matthew chapter 3, 
And we're reading this bit about baptism. Baptism in the New Testament is slightly different in two places. So you get the early pieces of baptism, which John the Baptist did, clues in the name. John the Baptist, and it says this, in the days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. It's interesting, what was John preaching about if Jesus hadn't come yet? Like, John, what did you actually have to say? Jesus isn't, hasn't arrived. So none of the Old Testament's been fulfilled. Uh, he's not arrived. He's not, he's not died yet. So you can't talk about that. Uh, the Holy Spirit hasn't been sent yet. What have you got? So John tells us what he's got. Repent. John had a one-liner that just he hammered. <laughs> repent. Just repent. What of anything? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's interesting, John knew something was about to happen. And he said this, who's spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice one call in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, he had a leather belt around his waist, his food was locusts and wild honey. John is odd. <laughs> They're not describing normal clothing and normal food of the time. John is an oddity, he's out in the desert and in the desert, everybody is coming to him to repent and be baptized. So he's literally in the Jordan. If you ever get to go to the Jordan, it's dirty. It is a muddy, dirty, brown river. And John is there baptizing people in this filthy river. Not so that they're clean on the inside, but because they've done something, as in repent. And they're trying to show that they've repented by doing something with their lives. And then we know Jesus comes along and there's this incredible moment where Jesus, the one who doesn't need to repent, nothing to repent for, chooses to be baptized. <laughs> Why does he do that? Jesus. Baptism is strange. I've been to some strange baptisms over the years. I was at one where the guy getting baptized was an ex-boxer. And then it turned out he was afraid of water. So they got him into the tank, but he didn't want to go down. And it became a three-man wrestling match. The boxer won, he got out, and they just threw water at him as he was going. It was brilliant. I was watching it just thinking, this, this is fabulous. It's brilliant. Uh, I was at one where one of the elders misstepped and he fell in. Then you just like, oh, no, this is this. And then his head just appeared, like some meerkat, just trying to find his way. Uh, we were at one, and, and uh, were, I was at one when I was a kid. Uh, they used to do this thing where we'd do baptism, and then they'd say, does anybody else want to get baptized? Then remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and this one guy at the back says, I do, pastor. And as he's coming down the aisle, he's, they, they tackled him just as he got to his trousers and just, whoa, 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 whoa. He literally had got himself topless halfway down there. The whole room's going wild. It was, it was, it was interesting. And we had one quite a few years ago. We were youth pastors. And, uh, and being youth pastors, you say things you shouldn't say. And, um, and, and I, I'm baptizing with my senior pastor. And we're baptizing this guy. He is the world heavyweight karate champion. He, he is, he is um, at the time, PlayStation's model that they use for their major karate games. He is ripped, right? And he's about six foot six. He sat on the front row, and none of us have paid proper attention to him. And, um, and he sat there, and I suddenly realized he's wearing a pair of little gym shorts. And then when they called his name, he peels off his jumper, and he's wearing a gym vest, right? And you hear some woman in the crowd go, 
Literally, I mean literally. And you're thinking to yourself, well, it's a mystery. What, what, is, what is going gonna happen here? Baptism. All of that to say this. It is one of the two ways we visibly demonstrate our followership of Jesus. Like in all of the oddity of it, in all of the, this this doesn't seem to fit into our culture. Where else would you do that? And yet, this is what God chose as one of the ways of showing your followership. So let's, let's get practical just for a moment. Number one, it is for everyone who believes. It is not for some who believe or some who beliefs are properly formed. So while I look back on my decision and think, oh, I also look back and think it was the right thing to do because I did believe even though I didn't understand. It's not for when you feel ready. It's not for when you've worked out the full understanding of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Actually, it's for when you've realized he is my Lord and Savior, and I want to demonstrate that by doing something public that makes that statement. You shouldn't hesitate to get baptized. Secondly is that the word defines the visible sign. Baptized, the Greek word, again, just stick an O on the end, baptizo. It means literally to plunge, sink into, drench, overwhelm. Now, that is the physicality of what we do when we do baptism. You go plunge, sink into, drench, overwhelm. But that's what should happen when we give our lives to Jesus. We don't just go, hey, Jesus, just going to toe in the water with you. I'll see how you do looking after me. Just, I'll try that. Oh, that feels okay. Maybe, maybe I can go ankle deep now. Trust you a little bit more. Maybe I can splash about in praying about something else. Just a little bit more belief. Lord, maybe I can just go a little bit further, a little bit deeper with you. No, no, no. If you're going to follow Jesus, there's only one way to do it. You have to be all in. You have to be plunged, pressed down, drenched, or over, overcome with who he is and what he does. Baptism, it, the word defines the sign. But the words explain what happens. See, when Jesus talks to the church, us, about our mission, it, he tells us to go, which Anna talked about earlier in the sense of there's got to be a missional about us. There is a goal. But then he tells us to baptize people. And then he says, in the name, which literally means into the worship and service of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism makes a declaration of whose you are. The, I am saying, I am, I am not my own. 
that Jesus dying for me means that I am giving myself wholly to him. So much so, I, I am going to give the picture of dying and coming alive again. It's happened inside me already. Because nothing of salvation happens at baptism. You've already made a decision. You've already decided to follow Jesus. He's already got to be your Lord and Savior. What you're saying here is, hey, everybody, take note of whose I am. I am Jesus' so much that I am dying to who I was and I am coming alive again in him. It is a sacrament. It is a sacred moment. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. I've got to move on because we've got to talk about communion. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death. So just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We're making a declaration. What I used to be is not who I am anymore because I went through the waters. Moses is not the child that he was before he went through the waters. Noah is not the man that he was before he went through the waters. The Israelites are not the people that they were. They were slaves, but now they've gone through the waters. They're free. Uh, the Israelites, again, they were wanderers, but now they've gone through the waters. They're a people of a land. When you go through the waters, who you were and who you are become completely different things. If we have been united with him in his death like this, we'll also be united with him in a resurrection like this. Because we're not just giving an image of what's happened to us. We're making a statement about what will happen to us. That there is an eschatological, there is an end time statement to baptism. I'm going to die at some point, but at some point I'm going to come back. Because Jesus is going to raise me from the dead and I will live with him in heaven. If we died with Christ, we believe we will live with him. Since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Baptism is the word and it is the sign of a visible demonstration of your inward decision to follow Jesus. Communion is the same. It is the sign and it is the word of what it is all about. Communion. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus is eating what the Jews call the Passover meal. It's to remember what had happened in the book of Exodus when they were in Egypt. And God sent the angel of death through Egypt. But because they had the blood of a lamb on the doors, the, Egypt, the, the Israelites lost nobody. So he's eating this meal that commemorates a time where the lamb had died to save people. What did John call Jesus at baptism? Behold, the lamb of God. See, baptism drives us to communion. Because when we come to communion, we're remembering the lamb. The lamb who died so that we 
can live. Put a context for communion. The Passover meal. They're talking about the lamb. So here is Christ. Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 5. Our Passover lamb. Talking about sacrifice before he makes his sacrifice on the cross. He talks about his body which will be broken and his blood which will be shed through which we are saved. So in the same way that they ate the meal together, they enter into his brokenness and salvation together through the power of communion. You see, what we're not doing is just drinking a juice and eating a bit of bread. The early church got accused of all sorts of things. They, they got accused of, of, of love feasts, that it was a little bit wild because they were declaring their love for one another when they ate the bread because they were saying, we're one body. We are, we are one in the same. They were also accused of cannibalism. Eat my body, drink my blood. You can see how people got there. But in that moment, what they were doing was they were trying to understand what is it that's happening here. So what is happening here? Because in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. Because communion is, communion is a mystery. How is it that in doing this little thing, it connects us as people, and it connects us as church to Jesus, the head of the church? How does it happen? Well, the words matter. The words matter. Five key words that I want us to just grab for a minute. Number one, it is commemorative. Jesus says, do this to remember me. Right, whenever we come to a point of communion without pausing at the cross, we're not doing what he asked us. So just for a moment, let's pause at the cross. We pause at the cross because it is the center point of all of history and humanity. It is the point where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gave up all of his rights in order to pay for all of our failures. That he made that active choice to take on all of our mistakes and all of our sin so that we weren't responsible for paying for it. There is something powerful that happens when someone pays for something you owe. The cross is where Jesus, the Son of God, paid the price to God the Father so that we didn't have to. And then he calls us family. We have to pause and remember. Communion sometimes we're a little too solemn. I don't know about you, but salvation is incredible. There's a joy that comes from salvation. There's a lightness that comes from salvation. There is a life that comes from salvation that is a cause of praise. You see, our commemoration needs a pause, but the pause has got to lead to a praise. Because we're saying, because you did this, because you did this, I'm free. Because you did this, I'm alive. Because you did this, we've found breakthrough. So number one, it commemorates. Second thing it does, it identifies us. What happens at the cross is that we're made one. 
were made one not only with Jesus, but with one another. One body, one blood, one new covenant. Uh, what Then we use this word, communion. A common union that we are brought together as one people. See, sometimes you've got to come with the praise at communion, but sometimes you've just got to be with people. Because communion says this, you are not on your own. What you're going through, you're not going through on your own. What you feel you're suffering with and you can't talk to anyone about, communion actually declares the very opposite. That, they, that if you suffer, we suffer. That if you're in pain, we're in pain. And communion is giving us a visible sign. I am, I, I, when I pick up that cup, I am not on my own. When I drink that, I am not on my own. I do not have to suffer in silence because I am part of a body. We call it the church. Communion reminds us of that. Thirdly, communion is inspirational. That we enter by faith into all the benefits of his death and resurrection. All the benefits. Salvation, health, fullness of life. All of those benefits. Every time we take communion, we're reminding ourselves, Man, if I need healing, actually my healing is found in this. Because he paid the price for my healing. By his wounds. Where did the wounds come? At the cross. Where was his blood shed? At the cross. When I drink this thing, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you heal. You set free. You deliver. I am declaring that's who you are. And that's what you do. Communion is inspirational, but communion is thanksgiving. We don't use this word in our church, but many churches do. The Eucharist. Literally, the thanksgiving service. Communion is a chance to stop and to stand with someone else and say, I have some things I want to thank God for. Before I take this, I just want to thank him for, and you can just list my salvation, my home, my family, my job. I want to thank him for what he's going to do, not just what he's already done. Communion allows us to pause for that. But fifthly, communion allows for that fellowship that we are one. We are one, we are one. Not only are we one, but Jesus is present. We often use where two or three are gathered to talk about when we're praying. But when we gather for communion, and you stand with two or three others, he stands right in the middle of all of that. You believe for a miracle. He stands. The miracle-working God stands in the middle when we take communion because he is working and he is moving. In a moment, we, we're going to take communion. We've got three stations around the room. And, and I'll, I'll give you some instructions as we get there. But we want everybody to be able to take communion today. And, and that means we've got to take a moment now. Band, if you want to join me, we're going to take a moment because that followership of Jesus is a decision you have to make. And, and I want to tell you, it's not a decision to make lightly because following Jesus is your whole life. Like we talked about baptism, it's overwhelmed, it's, it's absolutely pushed under, it's, it's just drenched with the whole thing. You can't follow Jesus occasionally, conveniently. There's no convenient followership of Jesus. There's convenient religion, but not following him. That is an inconvenient truth, that he is your Lord and Savior, because he can demand what he wants when he wants. That's what Lord and Savior really means.